Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. We're going to look at the Song of Moses. And this is a moment in which Moses has two million people have a worship service on the eastern shore of the Red Sea. It's a very powerful moment. We're going to learn about worship from that. And that's what I want to talk to you about today is, is worship. But I want to start by just discussing the subject. What is worship? Why do we worship? How do we worship? We're going to look at that and understand worship a bit. And then we will turn to Exodus 15. And then we're going to see Moses in worship. And uh, see what elements are there. It's very, very powerful. I think you'll see that. So let's let the Lord teach us about worship today. Father, come with your spirit. We can't understand the word except you reveal it. Or I can't speak it except you empower me. Come Holy Spirit and grace us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let me talk to you about worship a minute. When I was a Presbyterian pastor, and I don't know if you knew that, one of the statements in the Westminster Confession of Faith, which isn't the most current statement of faith for them, but is historically kind of the, the bedrock statement of faith, it says this. It asks the question, it says, what is the chief end of man? Meaning, what's the purpose of human beings? Why are we alive on this planet? And the answer is this. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Did you hear that second part? Isn't that a remarkable statement? You know, you kind of think, yeah, to, we're here to glorify God. But then it has that statement. It is sort of intimate, almost embarrassing. To enjoy him forever. When the Bible said that you and I have been created in God's image, he said, let us make man in our image he didn't mean that we look like him physically. The fact that you and I are created in his image is this. You're a spirit. You are spirit is the way I should say it. Our God is eternal from there never was a time he didn't exist. You began in your mother's womb. Do you ever think about that? If your mother and your father hadn't married, you would never exist. It's not like there was some tank full of baby spirits up in heaven, you know, and you were just waiting to come down to see which set of parents you would be born to. You know, some people say, I don't know why I was born in America. I knew. Your parents lived here. <laughs> but that's it. That's it. Parents literally have the power to conceive an eternal spirit. What an incredible, incredible gift that is from the Lord. When you were conceived, you began. But there is never a time from this moment on that you won't exist. Your spirit. God said, let us make man, men and women, in our image. Father speaking to the son. Let us make man in our image. And what it means is above anything else, this. You and I can relate to God as one person to another. Friend to friend, not equals, of course, he's God. I mean, we'll, we will always honor and worship him. It's just, he's so holy, it's just, we'll, it'll be hard to speak, I suppose, in his presence. And yet we can talk to him and he to us 
tenderly and conversationally. You aren't, it isn't like God has a lot, a lot of pets down here on planet Earth. You're not his pet. You know, I have two pets. It's two more than I wanted. The kids all get them and then they leave home. Then you wait for them to die. And uh, I'm just being odd. No, it's not. Sorry, not. Yeah, you're laughing because you feel the same way. No, I, no, it's you know what they're actually they're good pets now. They're getting older, and uh, our cat is diabetic. So my my wife, for the most part, when she's gone, I have to do this. We give her a shot twice a day. Yeah. She actually likes it. Um, she feels better afterwards, and so she licks your hand, and she, she'll purr. It's kind of pathetic. <laughs> My, our cat can relate to us. We know when she's happy. We know when she's frightened. We, you know, there, there's an interaction, but it isn't like one human to another. See, this is the miracle of the fact that you and I are in his image. We can relate to him one person to another. We can be friends of God. What a stunning, stunning thing. And that's why we're alive. It isn't that he needed little helpers on planet Earth, kind of to clean up after the giraffes or whatever, you know, kind of keep the planet swept. He didn't put us down here. We're not helper bees. God did not need humans ever. He doesn't need us now. If we all cease to exist, he'd be complete and glorious in himself. And yet, because he's such a lover, that's the only explanation you can come up with, that he's such a lover, he wants to love more. And so he said, let's make man so we can love them. That's why we're here. That he might know us and love us and be with us. That's the heart of your existence. That's why you breathe. Sure, we have to mow the lawn and do the dishes. We have jobs that are there. We have all these kinds of things. But that's not why you're alive. You're alive that you might know him and love him. And believe it or not, he takes great joy in your fellowship. That's hard to believe. Because we so often picture him as humans. It's so hard for us to think of who he is. And we, we think of this kind of grumpy judge on a, on a throne. You know, kind of... Blah, blah, blah. He is holy. He is, his, his standards don't change. He, he will never change. And yet, he loves us and created us for fellowship and refused to let sin take us away from him and so sent his son to suffer the most brutal treatment and shameful treatment of the Holy One of Heaven for you. And for me to come back to him. That's the heart of this whole thing. Worship isn't about how we sing. Isn't about music. Isn't a service you put on. Worship is us ultimately fellowshipping with our father. And you know when you do come to his presence. When we're with him. It's impossible. It's impossible not to be changed. When we're near God. 
when we're close to him, when his spirit is upon us, we are changed. And I would add, for better or for worse. You'd say, well, everybody in God's presence must like it. Oh, no, no, no. No, they don't. I actually think hell is a mercy. C.S. Lewis says it's like God putting out his hand and putting a shadow so that people who hate him can hide. See, you don't change when you die. That's the horror of it. Or the blessing of it. <laughs> Those who love him, love him. On the other side, you don't suddenly go, whoa, and sort of wake up on the other side and get your head straight. You are who you are. You've been forming you like one chisel at a time, sculpting your, your soul. Every choice you make forms you. People aren't what they are by accident. They aren't what they are by ignorance. They are what they are by choices, millions of them. Choices day at a time, choices of ethics, choices of honesty, choices to love, choices to be merciful. We make choices, and every time we do, we ch chisel our soul. And we form who we are, and then we go on into eternity. So we're with the Lord. When we are with him, he changes us. Those who love him are just strengthened and transformed by him. Those who hate him actually have to harden themselves and pull away. And you, you can see it happen at times in worship. You can see people who, as the power of God begins to become intense, they become increasingly uncomfortable. Not simply frightened. You can have kind of weird services that frighten people, but that's, an, that's a reasonable explanation. But you can have other services where it's just the sweet presence of God, and you can watch people just, oh. They do not want him to change them. They do not want him to make them repent. They do not want him to correct them. They are holding down, you're not going to get me. Boy, what do you have to win? What do you have to win? And then there are those who open up like a flower in his presence and are just allow that sweetness of God to come all through their being and strengthen them. That's what worship is. It's a conversation with another person. It's, it's drawing near to him. And in that closeness, all sorts of things happen. Whatever is appropriate happens. It varies almost every time we worship. Sometimes I, I need to submit to him all over again. Lord, I, I lay down my idols. And sometimes we need to feel his love and sometimes we need to confess our sins and sometimes we need to let him just straighten our brains out because our whole world is turned upside down and we need to think straight again full of faith remembering who he is worship is so essential you need to worship like you need bread for your body or air for your lungs it isn't a matter of keep having right theology that's not a bad thing but it isn't simply, I've got good theology, I'm conservative, or whatever. It's relationship. Don't you know nasty Christians? I mean, some of the ugliest people on earth are jaded old Christians, aren't they? With their theology intact, but clearly have not been worshiping. I mean, they may go to church and do their thing, but you can't be like that and have worshiped the living God. The living God changes us. I, I, I never forget hearing Yongi Cho. Do you know who, uh, is it David Yongi Cho or Paul Yongi Cho? I don't know what he calls himself now. But he's the pastor of the largest church in history. I mean, what's it, a million people? I mean, and they go to church. It's not just on some kind of vague role. He's got a million people in Seoul, Korea. 
Full Gospel Central Church. It's amazing. And I, I, heard, I heard him speak one time in Phoenix, and, and he said, you, you must think that Paul Yongi Cho is, a, is, a, is, a, is an angel. You know, in other words, I must be so perfect that God is doing this kind of thing. He says, that's not true at all. I am no angel. He says, I get before God for about four hours a day, and I let him discipline me, and I let him correct me, and I let him examine my heart, and I humble myself before him. Can you imagine the temptations of a man with a church of a million people? Can you imagine the power? Can you imagine the pride that would come into your heart? Can you imagine the demons that come against him? And he says, the only way I can survive is I'm before him on my face every day. That's moving. That really tells you something. I have to worship or I'll be ruined. You know, so do you and I. We don't maybe have the same pressures he does. But we have pressure. We have assault on our soul too, don't we? The pressures of life are heavy. Why do we worship? Well, we worship to give thanks to the Lord for one. I, I keep thinking of that passage in Luke 17 where... Ten lepers came to him and said, Lord, we would be healed. And he said, go and show yourselves to the priests and you'll be healed. And so he headed, they headed off down the road. And as they went, they were literally healed in the walking. Their flesh just went clean while they're walking. How do, you, do you remember how many came back and thanked the Lord? One. And the thing that moves me is his, his response. He literally is grieved. Not simply angry, like, hey, I, I did 10, didn't I? It wasn't that kind of thing. Jesus says, weren't there 10? And only one has come back to give glory to God? Everybody else just took it. See, we all love gifts from God, don't we? Everybody wants a heavenly dispenser. If God would just give us stuff and do what we ask him to do, we'd be fine with him. Wouldn't we? We're selfish and we're greedy and we just love to have a heavenly dispensing machine that would produce what we need when we need it. But thanks is personal. Thanks is between two people. Thanks is acknowledging an obligation and coming to him and saying, Lord, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your grace. I notice on my prayer list, I write all of these these requests out, but it's very easy for me that once they're answered, just go on to the next request. Do you notice that? I need to stop and, Lord, thank you for that healing. Thank you for that guidance. Thank you for that answer. Thank you for what you've done. He's a person. He's not a machine. He really cares. He knows when he hasn't been thanked. And in worship, we come and thank him. In worship, we remember. And a very important part of worship is engaging the mind. Sometimes I think we think that worship is just singing or saying a lot of, a lot of good stuff about God. And it, it is. But if it's mindless, if it, you and I just mouth it, it's absolutely meaningless. Actually, I think it numbs us further. It's, it's rather dangerous to do that. The Bible has, in the Hebrew, the word, it, it uses this word in association with worship quite a lot, zakar. And the word means to remember. I, my mnemonic device is 
I remember Zakar. Where did I put Zakar? <laughs> Something like that. And it means to remember. And you'll find in the worship literature all the way through it, there's remember what God has done. Waken your mind up and remember the good things he has done. It's an effort. It's a decision. It's a choice. Worship does not start out just always easily. If you're one of those people that says, I can only worship when I feel like it, you're a child spiritually. I'll just be blunt with you. Spiritual maturity is not some form of perfection. Spiritual maturity is a person who recognizes their condition when they've fallen into the flesh and knows how to get out of the flesh and into the spirit. That's a mature Christian. And a mature Christian is someone who says, I don't want to be in the flesh. I'm tired of making the trouble and injuring people and sinning against God. I want to stay in the spirit. And so we're just constantly pushing back into the spirit. Our strength isn't we somehow learn and get our life straight. Our strength is that we learn to press in and hang on to God and not let go. That's where we get strong. So worship engages the mind. It, 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 it is aware of remembering the past. And then as I remember God's faithfulness in the past, I turn my attention to the future and I confess faith in the future because he who is faithful in the past is going to be faithful in the future. Do you understand that? Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Say that with me. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when I see his faithfulness in the past, I don't have any question he'll be faithful tomorrow. I don't have any question he'll be faithful five years from now. I don't have any question he'll be faithful 20 years from now. I don't have to work. I mean... Sure, there's issues in, in history. There's all this terrorism rising and there's these various kinds of stuff. But he who is faithful in the past will be faithful in the future. Do you see that? When you worship, you, you give your heart joy concerning the future. When you find people who are fearful and grumpy and caught in a great negative sour attitude, I can tell you why. They don't worship. Because in worship, if I see the faithfulness of God, how can I fear the future when I have such a God who doesn't change? Do you understand? One more thing. Actually, several more things. I mean that literally. But I'm moving toward my point. When I talk with our worship team and all about worship, I'll say, first thing we do is we wake up the body. And that's, you'll notice with the songs that I led you in today, I led you in uh, with you, you know, I will sing about everything you are always. And it's peppy, isn't it? And you may not have come in feeling peppy. But you, either, you, you went through this moment of like, oh, man, it's Steve leading. And... Uh, <laughs> Okay, and you kind of, you know, you get up and here you go. And you start singing stuff that you don't feel. You start saying, you know, all things work together for good. Well, you didn't come in feeling that, but you're singing it anyway. And then you started saying, fear not, for I am with you. Notice the faith kind of 
theme there, the upbuilding theme, the rise up. Worship begins by speaking the truth regardless of how we feel. Speaking the truth regardless of how we feel. You say, well, isn't that hypocritical? No, no. Hypocritical is when you say what you don't believe. But when you say what you believe in spite of how you feel, you're simply demonstrating maturity. If we're controlled by our feelings, God help us. The devil will certainly keep us feeling bad. And so the, the, you, can, you have the ability to rise up and overcome those feelings. By speaking the truth, your heart will listen to what you say, and you'll find yourself suddenly feeling what you're saying. Now, I, I, that can be done in a phony way, I'm sure, but let's not do it in a phony way. Let's do it in a wise way that says, Lord, I'm not staying in this. I bless you. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. No weapon formed against me will prosper. And you begin to declare the truth, and you'll find your heart follows. I learned this lesson one, one way years ago. I, was a, I think it was in high school. And my mother used to take me to all kinds of strange Pentecostal churches. And uh, this one wasn't that strange at that point in its history. It became incredibly strange, but it wasn't then. And um, it was in Glendale, California. And uh, the pastor was uh, kind of an old guy. And, and um, he, he said, come on, let's worship, you know. And, and I'm, a, I'm in high school. I got my jacket on. I got it zipped up. I'm, I got my hands in my pockets. I'm telling you, leave me alone, okay? And he'd say, come on, everybody, let's praise him. And I'm, I'm back there. And, and that guy with his beady eyes, he looked right through the crowd. And he spotted me and he zinged in on me. He said, I said, stand up. <laughs> Get your hands up. At uh, this point, it's like a stick up. It's, you know. <laughs> praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Yay, God. You're cool. I mean, I'm just, I'm doing it because this guy's just zeroed in on me and he's not letting go. Then I noticed the strangest thing. I felt better. <laughs> I felt better. Because he made me. I learned something right then. I did. He did it to me several times. It was not just once. But I thought, I'm not, I don't have a good attitude. I'm not doing this because I want to. And yet, I am saying things I believe. And suddenly, the Spirit of the Lord would come over me, and I would go out of that service refreshed. Though I'd come in grumpy. Something about, you can awaken the body. Speaking what's true. Singing what's true. In spite of how you feel. In fact, that is the first step most of us will take most of the time. Every so often, you just, you've had something wonderful happen. The Lord just comes sweetly over you. and you just, You're in it in a heartbeat. Praise the Lord. But that isn't the only way you'll enter into worship. The other part is you, you awaken not only your body, you awaken your mind. I've said that already. You deliberately concentrate. You begin to start thinking about what good things has God done in my life. You can begin to reflect how... Where was I saved? 
Where was I filled with the Holy Spirit? What has he done in my family? What's he done with my children? What healings have I seen? What, where has God done? What has he been doing in my life lately? Begin to just think about them. And with that, your heart rises up with praise. And then, of course, it enters in. Worship finally enters in when his presence is close and you have a conversation with him. I really, when I really get in worship, I get quiet. I get quiet and I begin to have a conversation. I, I, I listen for the Lord. I listen to what he says to me. I talk to him. Sometimes he doesn't even say much, but I can just feel that love of God strongly or the, the encouragement. Just the lifting of, of worry. You'll have moments in worship when you're actually, in my opinion, getting a taste of heaven. You are experiencing what eternity will be like. You'll notice it's almost, it's a timeless moment. The fear, the worry, the anxiety is gone. There's this sweet rest and you think, I could just be like. You know, in, I have never been to a spa. But people are going there now. Somebody was telling me about a mud wrap. And all they went through and then they had, I think, chili pepper stuff rolled in their hair. And I mean, who know what else? Um, and they said, I just came out just, so, you know, so relaxed. In worship, there's a relaxing of the soul. The worry, the anxiety, the anger, the fear, the bitterness. It's like he just comes and he just melts that junk. You'll never come to the place. 50 years from now, you will still need to worship. It's not like you learn a lesson and you become real mature and don't have any more problems. There is no place like that, this side of the resurrection. But we can always have eternity if we will worship and press into his presence. Notice it has nothing to do with the music particularly. You can choose to worship in just about any environment you want to. I, I was reading a magazine this past week and it talked about the worship wars. And it's really gotten nasty, I guess, across the country. Where each generation doesn't like the other's music. And so you got one generation that wants hymns. And you got the, the, the baby boomers. And they've got these uh, the praise songs. And then you got the young people that think the baby boomers stuff sounds like Disneyland music. And, and, uh, and, 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 and it's not good humored. They're all cranky going, I want my music, you know. And uh, this kind of, it's kind of sad and bitter. Real worship. You can worship with whomever. A real worshiper. Just give me something to work with. Years ago, we, Mary and I were in a, in a uh, church plant in, in uh, Monrovia. I, we were living there and I was teaching at the Bible college. And... Uh, when we started out, we had a really old guy as our worship leader. It's just a small, small group of people coming to plant a church. And uh, he played the accordion. Now, can you imagine? And uh, I want you to know he was not cool. <laughs> Nothing even sort of maybe cool about him. Except this. He really loved the Lord. And as he led us. That sweet presence of God would come over the congregation. 
And the church was growing with this old guy with his accordion. And then the leaders decided, you know, we need to be more hip. We need to get jazz chords in here. He's playing all the wrong chords. And, and we need to, you know, so they eased him out and brought in some young hip people. And, and uh, the church started to decline, <laughs> actually continued to decline. Um, because the focus then was on the music and the fo- our eyes should not be on the music. Our eyes should be on the presence of the Holy Spirit. On the presence of the Holy Spirit. We should be pressing in to him. Give me anything I want to worship. When we glorify God, we do it so many ways. Giving, serving, personal holiness, ministry to others through the gifts of the Spirit. When we enjoy God, we do it many ways. Listen to this list. They're all biblical. Prayer, singing, meditation in the word. There's physical expressions of our worship and our enjoying of him. Raising our hands, kneeling, standing, lying on the floor, clapping, bowing, shouting, being silent, weeping, dancing. Every one of those is a biblical expression of the Lord. I've had people leave the church because they say, we don't be in a church where they, people raise their hands. I'm thinking... What do you do with the Bible? You just rip. It's all through there, isn't it? I mean, those, those, those Israelites were pretty Pentecostal. I mean, they, there, was, there was, and this is the thing as you go to other cultures, for like dancing, when I go to Africa or I go to New Guinea, they all dance, everybody dance, and they know how to dance. That's the difference. <laughs> they do. I mean, they know how to dance. I don't, and I'm, but I come along. I can still, I can still recall being like an Indabella, and we finished the, we finished the church, and the whole church and the t- whole town came out, and, and we danced in celebration around the church, you know, and I, all the men with the men and the women with the women, it's separate, you know, and, and I'm, all these old men, and you know, they're just dan- and they just, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to, come along, just a geek, but they were nice about it. They didn't make fun of me. They didn't. They come on, come on, boy. You know, it's so beautiful, so beautiful out of the heart. Now let's have a look at Moses worshiping, chapter fifteen. He's standing on the eastern shore. Two million people now having just gone through an experience where the most powerful military on earth was coming to cut their heads off and then suddenly watched them destroyed in the waters of the Red Sea. And then Moses writes a song so that the people will never forget. And they all sing this song. Verse 1, Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he's hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. He's become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will extol him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord, Yahweh, is his name. 
Pharaoh's chariots and his army, he's cast into the sea. The choicest of his officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deeps cover them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your excellence, you overthrow those who rise up against you. You send forth your burning anger, and it consumes them as chaff. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters were piled up. Remember, the wind came from the east. The flowing waters stood up like a heap. The deeps were congealed. That means curdled like cottage cheese. The, the floor of the, of the ocean, which was all, you know, obviously be mucky and, and unpassable, was solidified and dried out by that wind. It was Waters flowing, water, the deeps were concealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be gratified against them. I will draw out my sword, my hand shall will destroy them. This is what Egypt said. But you blew with your wind, and the sea covered them, and they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you in majestic and holiness? Awesome in praises, working wonders. You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. That's the first stanza. Tell me what he said. What did he do in worship just now? What just happened? He's speaking the truth, He's speaking the truth about who God is. He is remembering. Isn't he? He's remembering the great things and he's hearing the message in the miracle. And that's the truth about God. What did he say about God? What did he learn from that, from that uh, miracle? That God is his, he says, he's highly exalted. He's my strength. He's my salvation. He's a warrior. This is my father's God, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's with us now. Then he just describes him. He remembers the great things God has done and written them down so they won't be forgotten. Opens the mind. Secondly, here we go. Now watch what happens. It, this song changes entirely now with the second stanza. In your loving kindness. That means the grace of God. That you love us. You've promised to love us in spite of us. You've loved us because you've sworn to love us to our fathers. In your loving kindness, you have led the people whom you have redeemed. In your strength, you have guided them to your holy habitation. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Anguish has gripped the inhabitants of Philistia. That's the Philistines. And then the chiefs of Edom were dismayed. The leaders of Moab, trembling, grips them. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. By the greatness of your arm, they are motionless as stone until your people pass over, O Lord. Until your people pass over whom you have purchased. You will bring them and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established, the Lord shall reign forever and ever. Now that's totally different, isn't it? Is he remembering? No, he's in fact, he's looking into the future. None of that's happened yet. Do you see that? He's, there's still standing two million people on the sand of the, of the Red Sea. None of that has happened. He is declaring as fact what hasn't even happened yet. Why? Because God, if this is who you are, and you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, 
then I know what our future will look like. And he begins to declare the future when it hasn't even happened yet, which, by the way, is called faith. He says, we're going to go by the Philistines and the Moabites and the Edomites and the people of Canaan, and they're going to be so frightened, they will stand motionless as stone. And indeed, they did. He says, you're going to lead us to the place of your holy habitation, to the place of your sanctuary. There wasn't even a sanctuary yet. They didn't even have a tabernacle yet. But they would. And he says, there's going to be a worship center in that land. You've got a place picked out. And we're going to gather there. And we're going to worship and glorify you. We're your people. He has remembered. He has confessed. His whole future is changed because of what he knows of God. And now what do they do? One more thing. Verse 20. This is cool. He describes what happened, how they worshiped. Miriam, who is his sister, if you recall, she's the one who stood there watching him float in that little basket in the reeds. Miriam, the prophetess, what is she? Come on, cough it out. Uh huh. Don't say women can't prophesy. Miriam, the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took the timbrel in her hand and all the women went out with her with timbrels and dancing. What's a timbrel? Aha. Uh-huh. Yes, it is. Now picture this. How many women? How many women are there? There's probably about a million of them there. Now, I've been in other cultures. I know how this looks. I know, I know what happened. I'll tell you, you get in other cultures and the little ones dance. They can dance just like the old ones. And so this isn't just the old women. This is everybody. And so if you've got, a, you've got half that population, at least, are female. And so you've got maybe a line. This is no bunny hop. You've got a line of a million women. And it says they took timbrels. Now, they would have had a, a, a drum head on, on one side. They took timbrels. And they went out and they danced. And they, then what does it say? Verse 21. Miriam answered them, and the them is masculine. So the women are singing the echo to the men. This is a, you got two million people, men on one side, women on the other or something. And the men are singing, I will sing unto the Lord for he is high exalted. The horse and rider hurled into the sea. Splish, splash. I will sing unto the Lord. And then the women, they're out. They grab tambourines in a huge line. And they know how to dance. And they're going out dancing. And they're singing the, ver- the chorus. Sing unto the Lord, for he is highly exalted. A horse and rider thrown into the sea. Something on that order. And they're going out like this. I will sing unto the Lord. And then the women are echoing and the men are singing. And this thing's thundering. Two million people are thundering on the shore of the Red Sea in triumph. They're not just moaning out some deal. The men are singing and the women are responding and they're dancing before the Lord. Sounds pretty Pentecostal, doesn't it? They're really celebrating. It's important that we rejoice. When we remember the great things of God, 
When we realize how that informs our future, when we realize that he, with this mighty God of ours, we're going to be all right. We have no reason to fear. If he'll do this, he'll do that. If he's this way then, he's this way now and in the future. That builds me my faith. It gives me joy. That fear and that moroseness, the depression and the discouragement melt away in the confidence that I have a living, powerful God who's with me. And then it is natural to rejoice and express it. I think all of us are a bit constrained. I know I surely am. But however you do it, whatever your boundary is, the Lord's probably pulling you to express yourself a bit more, isn't he? You know, you can do this at home. It just pull the curtains, <laughs> close the doors. And if raising your hands is your thing, you know, they just can't do it. Well, just keep them halfway up. You'll actually find something really good inside when you get really, or just get them all the way up before the Lord. What I do with the curtains pulled and things, I dance sometimes. Not a lot, but it's ugly. <laughs> Only God would enjoy it. He actually suggests that I do it once in a while. I just think he's trying to loosen me up. He says, come on, why, let's dance. Okay. And I'm not going to show you my dancing. No, no. Years ago, I was, I was, I was speaking at Christ for the Nations in, in Montego Bay, Jamaica. And um, we had an evening midweek service, if I recall. I think that's when it was. And uh, all the area pastors were there. It was, it was a, a big deal. I'm up on the platform with a number of pastors. And uh, as they're worshiping, the pastor next to me gets up from his chair. And he gets down on his knees right on the platform and puts his head right on the ground and begins to pour his heart out before the Lord. Well, I'm sitting there. And the Lord said, you do that too. And I said, I'm the speaker. He said, I knew that. Okay. And this was, this was really something. I mean, everybody, you know, okay. And I got down on my knees. And then he, then he said this, rear end up, head down. <laughs> and I began to pour my heart out. And he spoke to me. And he said, that brother next to you is much freer than you are. You are so concerned what others think of you. You're bound up. He simply loves me and pours his heart out. Boy, I mean, I haven't, forgot, haven't forgotten it to this day, the lesson. You don't have to be foolish, maybe. But you do need to rejoice. And don't tell me, well, I'm just not that kind. Pull the curtains. Do it at home alone. But don't be stuffy with him. When you see the good things of God, rejoice in your heart. And there's all sorts of biblical ways. You, there's no way you have to do it. You don't have to do it any one of these. But the Lord will guide you. 
to just how you are to show your love for him with abandon, with freedom, with lack of regard for what, whether you're cool or look right. Because the focus now is on him, not on you anymore. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Father, we thank you for making us in your image. You've made us to be your children and to love you and to know you, to talk with you, to hear your voice, to fellowship with you, not simply be down here and go through rituals, but to actually be with you. Holy Spirit, today, whatever barrier is in our lives to worship, if it's self-centeredness or preoccupation with our, with our own worries, if it's a sense of decorum that is really misplaced, where we've become so stiff and proper that we really are proud, not humble. Help us, O oh God. Help me. We're not choosing to be silly. We're not choosing to be sort of something strange. But let us be real. Would you release each of us to worship you? Would you teach us, Lord, to overcome the inertia of the flesh and to speak the truth and to press through into the presence of the Holy Spirit? Teach us to be mature Christians. And then, Lord, would you, would you open our spiritual ears? Some, just a whole bunch of us need to hear more. This is not good that we never hear. It's not right that we don't hear your voice. And that's, this is a huge part of the depression or the discouragement, the purposelessness. Is we just can't hear. Whatever it takes, take that wall away, Lord. Take that wall and get it out of our hearts. That we might hear your voice, we might follow you and obey you, that we might move into that precious place of communicating with our Father, of living life in light of your word to us. Praise you, Father. Praise you, living Lord. And then, Lord, we think of our future. Jesus Christ, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are a healer, a mighty God, a deliverer, a protector, a guider, a provider. You are our strength and comfort. You are in our past and you will be indeed in our future. And so we do not fear the future. We do not morosely look at the future. We don't look at our aging. We don't look at the terrorists. We don't look at whatever. We just look at you and say, because you have thrown the horse and rider into the sea, those things that held us in bondage, you will indeed be with us powerfully and destroy our enemies in the future. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then, Lord, we would rejoice. We'd let our hearts explode. We would learn to love you and to let go as children in your presence, giving you our whole heart, worshiping you with all of us without restraint. Come, Holy Spirit, we would be worshipers in spirit and truth. Just baptize us with that grace. Heal us. Deliver us from any obstruction. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray these things. And if that's your prayer, if you're inviting him to be, to teach you to be a worshiper at even a new level, would you say amen to him? Amen. amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. 
For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.